Welcome to the Small But Mighty Biz Stories Podcast, where we talk about the inspiration and motivation behind your small business. Here's your host, Karen Wilson. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Small But Mighty Biz Stories Podcast. Today, I want you to think about the people you've known who've given birth. It's a profound, life-changing experience internally and externally. New parents, especially the first-timers, are in the vulnerable position of being both sleep-deprived and adjusting to life with a little human that upends their world as they knew it. As we record this, it's just two days until my only child's 14th birthday, but I remember that vulnerability like it was yesterday, especially when it comes to feeding an infant. Every option out there produces opinions and lead to guilt of some kind. Just what you need with hormonal and life changes putting everything around you off kilter. I'm thrilled to get to talk to my guest today, Sonia Borsma, who helps parents navigate all of these challenges through her business, Lactation Care. Sonia, welcome to the podcast. Please tell everyone a little more about you and your work. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here, especially because I'm just so passionate about supporting parents when they start their parenting journey, which may mean late pregnancy, or it may mean early after delivery, or it may mean eight, 10 months down the road. But it is, like you said, a very vulnerable time and so important to provide care and support that's, well, evidence-based and, and compassionate and to help support the goals that parents have. Yeah. One of the things that I recall from that time so long ago was a lot of beliefs and statistics that were out there that were kind of used um, by some, certainly in the minority, as a bit of a cudgel to to convince you to to go a certain path. Um, what are some of the things that people believe or think or hear that impact their journey as you're working with them? Well, there's certainly a lot of evidence to support breastfeeding. There's mm-hmm. There are a lot of statistics and yeah. there, there is a definite difference in health un- outcome. So those kind of facts definitely influence parents. Yeah. And then there's lived experience of their mothers, their mothers-in-law, their friends, you know, those are highly influential people mm-hmm. who, who might say, oh yeah, plug through, it's worth it. And they might say, just give your baby a bottle. And, and parents, um, you know, often get in this position of conflict where they're like, yeah, but I wanted this. And they're saying that. And or their caregiver, like their their health provider, is saying, "Yeah, you just need to, you know, also do this." I hear some people saying, for example, some physicians saying, "Just give a little bit of extra formula." Well, sometimes that's medically needed, and sometimes it's not, and yeah. and that puts the mom again into a position of conflict. So it kind of comes from all directions for for the poor mother who's trying to figure out which way's up. Uh, in the midst of hormones and sleep deprivation and body adjustment. Yeah. And I'm sure that you find in in the work you're doing because of the the advice that people get from, you know, a doctor isn't necessarily an expert on lactation. They, you know, especially if a woman is still going to see their GP, 
And, and so their knowledge of the best thing to do to resolve whatever the issue happens to be might actually be the opposite of what they should do. So that makes the work you do so much more important. What are some of the things that you would love for people to understand about um, the value of working with a lactation consultant? For a lot of moms, really getting some good prenatal breastfeeding so you understand enough to get you through the first week, to get you really set up well, to understand what might happen in the hospital, what's important to Mm -hmm. happen in the hospital, that would be my dream, that all moms took at least a two-hour prenatal breastfeeding course and actually hope to develop one online uh, down the road. And then the other thing that's really high on my wish list to support parents is that they would all see somebody who is knowledgeable about breastfeeding really early after delivery. And some people get me within hours of birth, whether it's virtually or not, you know, that they're, they're like, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, I've even gone into hospitals right after sections to help people just get things off to a good start. But getting into whatever support they can that that is truly supportive with knowledgeable providers. So understanding that most people aren't experts and they're doing their best, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to support their goals. And the thing is, we know that in Canada, at least 90% of mothers want to exclusively breastfeed. Yeah. But, But we're not already by the time... Now some people birth at home or birthing centers, but for hospital statistics, we know 90% are not breastfeeding on discharge. Mm-hmm. So there is a bit of a disconnect and it's, that's not all on moms, don't get me wrong, but yeah. um, it's supporting, supporting them, having better support knowledge going in and, and getting support early just makes such a big difference. Yeah. We had a conversation a while back and one of the things that I that struck me is when I gave birth, I was convinced I couldn't afford to to hire a lactation consultant privately. And I think you said something, and I can't remember exactly the way you said it, but it was something along the lines of, well, formula is expensive. And it can be very comparable to the cost of working with a consultant in and perhaps even a savings if uh, if the problems aren't huge. But it's those little bumps in the road that can derail breastfeeding and switch you over to formula, and the cost is extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it is very costly. I mean, there's the, you know cost of what comes out of your wallet to pay for formula, which is probably going to be about $2,000 in a year. And that's before Mm -hmm. you've spent money on bottles, nipples, brushes, um, utilities, et cetera, and your time. And then there's the costs related to not breastfeeding in terms of health Mm -hmm. to both the mom and baby, because there is a health impact. And then there's the cost of lost dreams and, yeah. you know, and, and wishes. And so, yeah, you could hire a lactation consultant for, you know, three, four, five, 
10 visits and probably still save a lot of money. Yeah. It's it's not one of those things where you're sitting there every single time someone is breastfeeding and getting paid for it. <laughs> that would be uh, rough. <laughs> <laughs> I do get a few people that wish I could move in with them for a little while. <laughs> well, I, I, that's probably more than the breastfeeding they're wanting. <laughs> I remember those days. Sometimes you just want someone to hold the baby for a bit. <laughs> yeah, get a break. Yeah, no, there's true. Or sometimes people have the experience that it's like, well, I saw a lactation consultant and it worked when I was with that person, but now I can't do it on my own, right? So, I mean, that's obviously a very important part of what I, I want to yeah. be doing is not be too handsy, uh, you know, or if I am, I'm going to back off so that parents actually practice and can repeat yeah. on their own. Yeah, and this is one of those things where uh, you hear it said so many times, you know, women have been giving birth for eons, um, breastfeeding for eons, it's natural. And then that leads to this feeling of well, why can't it? Why can't I do it? Why doesn't this work? Am I broken? What's wrong with me? I'm not enough as I am. And it's, it's <laughs> between all the changes and the hormonal shifts that happen after birth, that can be a really devastating feeling to have. How does, how do you navigate that with your clients? I just have to broach it. You know, if I'm, if I'm catching wind that people are feeling like, what's wrong with me? A big one. I, you know, I think my I have to sometimes say this for them, but when I'm starting to catch wind of it, I'll say, do you sometimes feel like your baby has rejected you? Mm. And they always go, yes. And and so it's really important to sort of try to tune into these parents and 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 bring it up and encourage further conversation with whoever their support people are. And one of the things that I hear a lot from mothers towards mothers is at least you had a healthy baby. Yeah. And a, a sentence that starts with at least does not acknowledge people where they're all, where they are. Maybe yeah. it's their birth experience that didn't go the way they wanted to. And while they're excited, they've got this new baby. They were also experiencing a loss. Yeah. You know, not that they've lost the baby. They do have a healthy baby, but they lost the birth experience that they wanted to. So yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, in COVID, it's just that much more intense. You know, they maybe couldn't get into the NICU like they, you know, wanted to, or they were much yeah. more isolated. Well, and they all are. They're way more isolated. Mothers yeah. are right now. And, you know, this this needs to be acknowledged. And oftentimes, I mean, it really depends on the situation. But, yeah, there's often emotions there that just need to get out, get spoken before parents are even able to really work and focus on on what they hired me to do in, in the sense of, of the breastfeeding. But I think it's also part of what I do is dressing the emotions because yeah. they're intense. It's a big, it's a big emotional time. Yeah. It's um one of the things that comes up a lot is the idea that 
you know, I mentioned that, you know, this is a natural process, but there are so many people who struggle with it. So what would you say if someone is wondering, why is this so hard? I, my body is made to do this. At the same time, I think, well, my body is made to run, but if I wanted to go do a 5k, I would have to train. So what, how do you answer that question? Well, you're, you're making me think of <laughs> when I was a nursing student, there was this misinformation about training your nipples and, and toughening them up with a towel and oh. whatever. So thank goodness <laughs> that's not happening anymore because FYI, nipples don't get tough. But the whole idea of, first of all, like I said, it's, it is about setting yourself up well before if you can or getting help early if, if you're having issues. And the whole natural thing, you know, sometimes it's really not about the mom. Sometimes it's about the culture. Like how many moms have actually seen how a baby's mouth and a breast go together before birth, before their own experience? Very few, I, I would imagine. So there's that sort of cultural. It's so taboo. Piece. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even really look at your girlfriend. In most cases, some would, but you, you know, most cases, your girlfriend's breastfeeding their baby, and that's yeah. fine. But you're not really going to get your nose in there in a big way. Yeah. So there's culture, but then there's also um, healthcare practices. In an ideal world, our hospitals and healthcare organizations would all reach baby-friendly status according to World Health Organization 10 steps, and they're not. So there's some breakdown, you know, through healthcare organizations such as hospitals or community health centers or, you know, the healthcare practitioners themselves who don't necessarily have the knowledge. So it, it's it's unfortunate that that's the case and, and therefore the persistent person who understands the importance and the value is more likely to reach their goals. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I, I get a lot into kind of the societal structures that exist and corporations. Uh, I, I always think of Nestle and the now it's something like a 50 year boycott at this point that's going on with Nestle because of their formula marketing. And it, it's astounding that we still prioritize the corporate view over the, the individual and, and what's best for their needs and their family. And um, I think that that's still, even though, the focus in a lot of the discussion around that still is a, is about other countries and other parts of the world, especially developing nations. We are very influenced by that in North America, especially in the United States, less so in Canada, but it's still it's still a really strong influence here because I know I, I know so many women who've been sent formula through the mail as a marketing tactic. Yeah. Yeah. And if they have it in the, in the mail, they go home after a day or so. Baby is often more awake and vigorous and, and wanting to be at the breast a lot more on day two and day three. It's very easy to reach for that 
bottle of formula that just happens to be in the cupboard. But it's astounding how a lot of women say, I don't know why I got that. So yeah. they signed up maybe at a maternity shop or they sign up for something online and, and, and then not knowing that whatever they signed up for had a formula company involved and they they got this beautiful whatever. Maybe they asked, they end up signing up for the free diaper bag, but there was formula in it and it was maybe a formula sponsored yeah. uh, item, right? And And it's, they're not supposed to do that. Yeah. If we had enacted the marketing code, the you know international code of marketing, breast yeah. milk substitutes, they're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to directly market to parents, but it's still happening, like you say. And it's because our nations around the world haven't all signed up to fully enact this code. Yeah. So that's a whole politics thing. And there's some beautiful books written about the politics of breastfeeding, yeah. too, which really get into that. Sounds like you've, you've dipped into that yourself. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um I've I've kind of I was very heavily reading up on a lot of this back when my son was an infant because I struggled and um I have medical challenges that made it very hard to uh breastfeed successfully and so after he he was more supplemented with breast milk <laughs> rather than than breastfed, and so you know I'm grateful for the time that we got. But but that's you know I learned a lot about possible things I could have done differently. Well, after it was too late to change anything, and it 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 made me aware of how much I should have known or could have known and had a better experience. Even if it still didn't work out, at least there was more I could have tried and been more successful. And I'm sure that you run into that a lot where you have a new parent who really wants to do this, but... They have tried everything, but they've run into barriers because that was part of the experience I had was barriers that I couldn't control. And then there was just a lack of resources in my own mindset of I can't afford a lactation consultant. So what are some of the things that you hear from people that they, they wish they had done differently or known sooner? Some are wise in this sense, beyond their experience, you know, and that they're like, I've heard I should get a lactation consultant, so I'm getting one, right? So there's that end of the range. And then there's the other end that's more typical, I would say, where I come in and they're like, oh, I wish I hired you earlier. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's kind of sad for me to hear. And in some cases, we end up redefining success, Right. Like yeah. here, here we are and we've we've met this many times and this is where you're at now with with your baby or with your breast milk supply or whatever. And how can we still give you the best experience possible? And and sometimes parents are surprised about what makes a difference. So you know, defining success can vary from one person to the other. Not everyone's goals are the same either, of course. Yet 
yeah, there's a great range. Some people, like if their milk supply starts to dip, they call me immediately. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not, I don't want to give anyone the impression this is likely to happen. But of course, I see a lot of um, issues as opposed to the smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. And But other people have called me when their baby's largely formula fed. And then, you know, because their supply has dipped to that point that their baby who was exclusively breastfeeding is now almost exclusively formula feeding. So then it's so much harder to get the supply back. Yeah. And the thing with breastfeeding is so much that if you can nip issues in the butt, it's going to be so much easier. And, and that comes back to even setting yourself up well for breastfeeding. Like those first 24 hours really matters. And sometimes People would hear, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the baby's fed. You know, they're just sleepy the first 24 hours either. But it does matter. And it does matter to setting that baby up well and imprinting. And it matters to supply. So it's good if parents know that. and But they can't possibly know everything. Yeah. And that's, again, where hiring somebody can make such a big difference. Because you can read a lot on the internet, but you don't really know what necessarily applies to you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll get these big, long emails from people who have been amazing. Like, they've just tried so many things, but they really need a specific plan for them and their baby. Yeah, it's so one of the things that... uh as I listen to you speak, you have this demeanor that's very calm and confident and knowledgeable and reassuring. And when, when you ha- anyway, we've talked about how fraught it can be to have a newborn or, well, really an infant of any age. Uh, it can be a really hectic time in life. But breastfeeding is not helped by stress. <laughs> and so, um, and, and I know that I learned this firsthand with a few incidents that happened. And I imagine that having someone like you who brings that calmness to the situation and that assurance that we're going to find the right path for you, uh, whether it's redefining success or coming up with the right plan. What impact does that have to to make sure that a mom has less stress and less pressure about the the act of breastfeeding? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it makes a huge difference who performs well when they're super stressed and sleep deprived, right? It's, although I am constantly being amazed and inspired by parents and how much they, they, how hard they work for their baby. Parents work so hard and it's, it's so lovely. But yeah, if you can get the stress level down a little bit, and maybe sometimes what I'm doing is figuring out how mom can get a bit more sleep. Mm. And make things realistic for them. Sometimes they'll confess. It's almost like a confession. Well, actually I'm not doing da, 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 da. And I'm going, okay, great. Like, let's work with that. You know, so, you know, to their stress level, it makes a huge difference. And for them to know what, okay, you're not, you're not trying all the things at two in the morning and four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Great. Like, 
that's good. Let's be realistic because right now that's only making this much difference. So let's work on that during the day and the evening when you're actually awake. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it it yeah. makes a huge difference to people. And I, it's funny you were used the word calm because I used to work as a doula too, and that would be with the biggest feedback I got is about the calming influence, <laughs> and that that is the role too. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean all of the all of this um because I think because of all of the things you know we talked we touched earlier on the taboo of even seeing a breast that is feeding. Um at, at least in in the west it's not like that everywhere in the world and it's a shame that we have that this puritanical view of breastfeeding uh people it's it's weird but the um the act of breastfeeding the act of giving birth these are stressful events um it shouldn't be to the degree that it is but it there's a lot of emotions involved there's the hormonal changes that are happening there's there's just a lot going on and everybody has an opinion <laughs> <laughs> and and I I often say like nobody gets judged as much as parents do. It, you know, everyone has an opinion about every choice you make as a parent. And so um finding finding your way around that is is difficult, but as you mentioned, there's the the need to get enough sleep that will impact I know someone who was unable to continue breastfeeding because they just weren't eating enough. And it was, you know, the caring for the newborn, skipping meals because they were busy doing things and didn't take care of themselves and didn't even know that not getting enough food was going to impact their milk supply. And that, you know, these are, there's so many things that we just don't broadly know because there's this taboo about talking about breastfeeding or, you know, even seeing it happening. Yeah, certainly, you know, when it comes to having time, parents who do invest that time when they're going, you know, either right after birth or whatever their challenging period is, they end up having more time if they're breastfeeding, right? The little joke I like to make is, you know, you take your baby and you take your breasts and you're all set. And guess what? The breasts are attached, ready to go. The factory's in production. You don't have to worry about what you're going to do with formula. So it becomes easier. It's that initial phase. And that yeah. initial phase is not just a few days. And I think that's a bit of a cultural thing that I'd, I'd like to shift. Like, let's let's plan on that taking a little longer. Let's plan on that taking four to six weeks to get really well established. Yeah. And then, but in the meantime, figure out other things. And then once you pass that four to six weeks, how do you breastfeed and get your, well, you have to eat during those four to six weeks too. But yeah, I'm often giving tips about baby care while eating, while pumping. How can you get outside with baby? How can you get some rest? Sideline breastfeeding, you know, is is an example of everyone getting some rest. Well, a lot of people will say, oh, I can't get that until the baby's older. It's like, no, well, a newborn can. You want to try. So there's a lot of tricks that uh, that can help parents. And, yeah, they're not all widely known. And, and it is a 
big go-to culturally to say, oh, just give your baby formula, you'll get more sleep, you'll this, this, this magical thing will happen and that magical thing will happen. And that's not always the utopia that people yeah. sometimes make it out to be. Do you see the um, some of the challenges because they're they're so common? Do you see some of the challenges around breastfeeding as related to um, the the busyness of our culture? The you know recover, move on because there's all these stories about women who lost their baby weight in six weeks. And uh, how do you see all of that impacting? Yeah, I think culturally there's there's uh, <laughs> Well, you look at the baby contraptions are out there. It's, you know, there's a lot of, when you see, when you go to a store that sells baby gear, you're going to think that your baby should be over there. It would be normal for your baby to sleep over there, Mm -hmm. be in a car seat, be in a, um, a swing, be in a, and, you know, I've used all those things too as a parent. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will talk about, we want to put our babies in buckets over there. But biologically, they want to be with mm-hmm. parents. So mm. sometimes it's just understanding how they're programmed and actually how they wire better. When they're skin to skin with a parent, they actually it actually encourages more brain development. And they actually get a better microbiome. And there's just all these benefits to being skin to skin. And if we understood that better, that babies aren't programmed to sleep through the night, they're not programmed to be in buckets. If we really understood that, if I understood that better with my first baby, I, I can tell you, I so wish I knew that better myself when, when my first was born. You know, it would have been very nice to know, although I did have it very ingrained in me in university as a nursing student to, to breastfeed. <laughs> but but some of the other stuff I yeah, have no idea yeah. about. So there are other cultural influences about your baby should have these big gaps between feeds and your baby should sleep through the night. And there's a lot of sleep consultants who are, you know, trying to do a great job, but maybe a little bit misinformed about what's normal. And, and, and then sometimes I've gone in because now the baby's learned to not feed for so long and the supply is tanked. Mm -hmm. So, so there are a lot of cultural things. There's there's the culture uh, right now of building your stash, mm-hmm. and and you know I'm like, no, just feed your baby. You don't need to feed your freezer. You know, like, what is that stash for? Yeah, you're wanting to go out the odd night, great, but you don't need a huge stash. You can just pump it a little bit a day or two before hand express. So there's a lot of cultural pressures on sleep, building the stash, having great lengths between feeds, and just how fast things should be. I get a lot of parents going, but I think feeding should be this fast. And they're worried that their baby's too fast or too slow. And it'd be so nice to, well, I'd end up doing a lot of work around that. And and, and just talking about the range of normal, yeah. right? There's no one size fit all. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I remember getting a visit from uh, a nurse and they were they were doing the well baby visit right after my son was born and at the time he was sleeping about for maybe 5 hours a night uh he was a good sleeper <laughs> um but she thought i should wake him up to to feed him so that he was getting it getting fed every 3 hours and i said no 
I'm not, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) He knows when he's hungry. He wakes up when he's hungry. I'm not going to wake him up. (laughs) And I, I just, I, I thought that was such a strange thing to recommend. And then later on, I met someone whose daughter was, they did wake her up every three hours for a feeding. And at two years old, she wasn't sleeping through the night. Yeah, it's hard to say if that, how that correlation was for that daughter. But in the end, you want to make things less complicated for yourself. Parenting's complicated enough. I mean, you know, at the beginning, you have to figure out how to burp and change a diaper. And how do you fit those little people who are wriggling into a sleeper? And what, you know, like there's a lot to learn. I tend to trust the babies more (laughs) after they're back to birth weight. And then, yeah, then they follow their own sleep pattern. So, yeah. So what I tell parents is, you know, from that point, you don't, your baby doesn't have a clock. So if we want a minimum number of feeds to be eight in 24 hours, that doesn't mean 24 hours divided by eight equals every three. No, you do have to look at your baby. So there's going to be times they might cluster feed or they'll feed every two hours. Or if they go and I stretch like your little gaffer, you know, and they go four or five hours and still get a good eight plus feeds a day, they're good. It's a 24 hour thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Makes so much more sense. <laughs> Sometimes in the first week or so, like or two, until they're back at birth weight, it it can be good to wake them up because they just don't necessarily cue as well yeah. as they might. But after that, enjoy the sleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Ours ours did. I I don't remember ever having to wake him up. I think the well baby visit was like after a month. So he was well over his birth weight by then. But yeah, it was, um, he was almost like clockwork waking up in the early days. And then as he grew, he just didn't need, he was a big baby though. <laughs> he was oh, 10 wow. and a half Sounds pounds. like my guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Sonia, Doing this kind of work, having it as a business, when it's such a such a passion for you, uh, can be really exhilarating and also come with you know this desire to. But I just want to help people, and and sometimes there there can be that tug of war within about about giving the help without overextending yourself how do you how do you balance things yeah I think (laughs) I'm okay when it comes to consults and sort of setting limits around that and whatever it gets harder when with a a lot of emails for example because I also don't want people to just not reach out right yeah really where I'd like to spend more time and I haven't figured this piece out, is in educating healthcare professionals. Because, and I was doing that for a while in a different role, but that's ultimately what I'd love to do so that more people can provide evidence-based care in addition to working with parents because they're wonderful and they're inspirational and they tend to be highly motivated. And sometimes it can be a little bit hard too. And you go, oh, oh, but you almost got this. But 
you know, they've reached a point where, where they're done. Um, so there are, there's sort of those ups and downs too, of as there will be when you're working with people. Yeah. But it, yeah, for me, the people that really keep me going are, are those super motivated people. And I'd say that's a lot of my clients. And, and yeah, yeah. if they end up, if I have an opportunity, then, you know, say they're getting conflicting advice, I can reach out with their permission, of course, reach out to their primary care provider too and have a discussion and get them out of those positions of conflicts. And those, those are good. Those are good times because that just helps support people so much better, right? It builds the, the net of, of support under them to be so much stronger when it's not like my doctor said this and my lactation consultant said that. Yeah. Do you find that the training and education around lactation is too little when it comes to the healthcare profession or is it too little and not evidence-based or, or, or how can I put this misleading in some way? Is there, are there still, I know that in medical school, doctors are learning sometimes things about women's bodies or, uh, you know, and for many years, uh, there was this belief that black people didn't experience pain to the same level as white people, which is obviously wrong. There's an idea that women don't experience pain in the same way as men. And so what is, what is the, what are medical professionals being taught about lactation? Is it, is it accurate? And incomplete, or what's the what's the uh, challenges there? It's definitely incomplete. There's a lot of studies that show that a lot of healthcare professionals don't have breastfeeding education and rely on their personal experience. Physicians, in particular, and rely on their personal experience. So mm-hmm. we all have personal experiences, which is great. We can bring them in if it's helpful, but sometimes it's not helpful. You know if. If it's not mm-hmm. evidence-based, it's not helpful. So there's a real lack of education, really, amongst a lot of a lot of physician groups. I would hazard to say some of my co- nursing colleagues could use more education too. And really, when we mentioned, I mentioned the Baby Friendly Initiative earlier, uh, which is the World Health Organization. Or actually, maybe I didn't. But the World Health Organization has this Baby Friendly Initiative with the ten steps. And that provides a foundation. Not it's not high level breastfeeding expertise, but it's a foundation. And part of that is frontline nurses or care providers who are working one on one with patients or clients get twenty hours of training. Basics. Twenty hours is basic training in breastfeeding. And it provides information about the importance of skin to skin, about hand expression, about what you need to teach people for prenatal education, about what's a medical indication for supplementing and mm. so on. So my wish is that hospitals and healthcare organizations would implement the baby friendly initiative and have this basic level of care everywhere. So yeah. I had this provincial job for five years that was supported by the Ministry of Health, and that's what we were doing. We were supporting healthcare organizations to implement the baby-friendly initiative. Yeah. 
through many different ways, including work, including providing a 20-hour train-the-trainer course so they could go on and train others at their organization. And that's still so needed. It is so needed. And there's always funding, funding, but honestly, we end up spending mm-hmm. more money on healthcare by not implementing this, right? I mean, you, you think about babies who yeah. aren't breastfed. It's not that it's going to happen to every individual, but we know that they're more at risk of ear infections and lung infections and diarrhea and hospitalizations and even SIDS and some childhood cancers. Like, how can we afford not to have best practice in in these organizations where everyone's, Mm -hmm. you know, has touch points? Yeah. And it's interesting that in so many ways, not just this one, we, you know, we have the value in Canada of of healthcare being a right, and there is the the public uh, option, and it is discouraging every time I hear that there are things like breastfeeding that aren't fully supported that could reduce those costs, and or divert that money to other badly needed funding. And so um, it's it's a frustrating thing because there's so much more we could do to improve our healthcare system. And this this seems like an easy thing because it's it's all about education. And and I would think, you know, the on the nursing side, there's the supporting pregnant people uh, who've just given birth and 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 in the hospital, giving them that education, as you mentioned, before they give birth, maybe make it part of prenatal classes. And then on the doctor's side, knowing what to look for and how to refer people on. Yes. Or for the physicians who are seeing people prenatally, I actually, at a, at a regional level, developed a resource of this is what you could teach at all the standard touch points that you have with pregnant parents, this one little point, and then this one little point at the next one is a handy little flip chart. I don't think that's being well used, honestly, but it is available. And yeah, that would be lovely to see that prenatal teaching happen, the encouragement to go to prenatal classes, because right now prenatal attendance is not that high. So people are going in fairly blind to parenting. Yeah. But I, I do need to get back to your comment about it, it's an easy thing to do. It is easy compared to some of the other things that hospitals are doing or like bringing a new MRI or something like that. But those 10 steps, if a hospital works hard on them, they'll be implemented in 10 years, just given all the other competing demands. Wow. But over that 10 years, practice is going to continue to get better. And once it's there, Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a maintenance plan and, okay, we have a new staff member and this is how they're going to get educated, whatever. Then it becomes easy. Mm. And what's sometimes I've seen happen, like the public health units in, in Ontario were mandated to do this and then they weren't mandated and some of them have let it go. And that's really sad because then then level of care um, slips. yeah. Yeah. I am really glad that you said that because in my I I said that poorly. My 
my uh, meaning was more that it seems like a logical change to make. You know, it's an easy decision, not necessarily easy to implement because there's, there's a lot of mindset that has to be adjusted uh, amongst medical professionals and, and it, administrators too, administrators, politicians, yeah. and um, there has to be that ability to stand up to the corporate uh, interests who don't want this to happen. And, and they have a conflict of interest there. I certainly am all for a formula existing, but for those who need it, truly, not to take away from not to take away the opportunity to breastfeed from those who really want to and can absolutely and and I might just add that part of the baby friendly initiative is to help people when they're pregnant make an informed decision mm. about how they want to feed and some might choose to exclusively yeah. formula feed and then they need to be supported yeah. too how do you prepare formula what are the different yes. types of formula how what are the expectations? And actually, it's kind of funny slash sad that my in that provincial job I was mentioning, I end up having uh, my first project was to develop a formula feeding booklet that was considered to meet the baby friendly initiative criteria. And it was a, quite a challenge in the end. It took about 32 months and 32 drafts, and there's probably 100 some people that had him wow. put into it, but it exists, and I refer my clients to it all the time because it's really helpful for moms who are using formula. And, and a lot of my clients are using a mix, right? That may be not their dream solution, but that's where they're at when I come in. So they need to know how to how to do whatever yeah. they need to do. Yeah, yeah, and 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 if any mom does, infant feeding is important, and parents at all steps should be making an informed decision and, and not be told things that are not accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can definitely see where education is really the starting point of, of success in this, uh, because without that knowledge, you, you may make decisions that can run counter to success in the path you want to take. Um, Sonia, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you. Can you share with everyone how they can find you? Sure. I have my website is probably the easiest way for people to find me, uh, lactationcare.ca. They can, from their email, they can book a consult and home or if they're local to me or uh, virtually or in clinic. So there's lots of ways to get hold of me. I have resources that are online. I put a lot of information on Instagram and Facebook and do a little video every Tuesday on various topics. So that's something that that people might want to look back and find the one that was on whatever topic for Tip Tuesday. So that might help them as well. Fantastic. Well, I will be sure to include all of your links to socials and your website in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me here today. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Small But Mighty Biz Stories. Want to hear more stories? Visit smallbutmightypod.com and be sure to tell us about your fave small biz so we can share their story too. 